0: hey everyone welcome to thinking christian this is dr james spencer you know one of the things i remember from Christmases past is uh sitting in church i went to a uh, lutheran church missouri synod uh, in carlinville illinois and every christmas we'd have a service where we put on a nativity play and uh and got to read through the christmas story uh, one year uh after my voice had deepened uh, they let me read the whole Christmas story for the congregation. And so uh, it's just one of those fond memories for me of uh, getting to hear the story of Jesus's birth, even though I wasn't a believer at the time. You know, I remember it just being a really special time of year and uh, and, and being caught up sort of in the, uh, at that point, I probably would have called it just the spirit of Christmas, you know, but now uh, it's taken on a far different significance having become a believer in Jesus Christ. And so, I wanted to just take some time today on the podcast, not to interrupt anybody's Christmas too much, but if you haven't been able to go somewhere and hear the Christmas story, I thought I would uh, try to read through Luke 2 here and uh, just give everyone an opportunity to sit back and listen and really enjoy the story of Jesus's birth. So here we go with Luke 2. who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great multitude of angels and of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus." the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You know, what a fantastic story about our Savior. Uh, In Luke 1, we know that Mary was visited by Gabriel, that Gabriel gave her a lot of information about what was going to happen. Um, He told her that she was going to bear the Christ. And, um, you know, she now finds herself pregnant, uh, traveling with her husband Joseph, who has been called, essentially called by Caesar Augustus, uh, back to the city of his birth, Bethlehem, to be counted. Uh, When they get there, they can't find any room and so they end up having to stay in an inn, a manger, and the shepherds who the angels appear to, um, they are now given a sign and that sign is that the baby will be in a manger, that the baby um, will, you know, they'll find this child sort of lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so what we have is this sort of interesting convergence of moments. And I think it must have been an an interesting time for Mary, particularly, maybe probably for Joseph as well. But specifically, we see Mary's reaction here that she's treasuring all these things up in her heart and pondering them. Uh, but as the shepherds come to see Jesus, and they're reiterating everything that Mary had already sort of known, that um, you know this was the Christ, that this was a miraculous child, that um, God was doing something interesting in the world. What an amazing comfort it must have been for her in this moment where she's getting yet another point of confirmation, as if she needed one, but another point of confirmation that all of this is happening on God's timing and in God's plan. And so she must have just been ecstatic uh, that these shepherds are visiting. So as we think about the Christmas story, I think the important part, uh, one of the important parts of the Christmas story is obviously God's involvement in bringing all these things about, the anticipations of Israel, the, uh, the need to redeem all mankind. This is what God is doing through a little baby who came at Christmas time uh, at the Christ Mass. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is what we celebrate every year at Christmas. So, hopefully, this reading was uh, pleasurable, and I hope it added to your Christmas season. And uh, I look forward to being with you again on Thinking Christian tomorrow. So, take care, have a Merry Christmas, enjoy your time with friends and family, and uh, have a safe and happy holiday season. Well,
1: Merry Christmas, everyone. This is Richard Beatty, uh, producer and co-host of Useful to God Radio, uh, right here on KLTT. Uh, the Christmas story from Dr. James Spencer was made possible from UsefulToGod.com. We thank you for listening to Useful to God every Monday at 1230, right here on KLTT. I want to tell you about a new daily audio Bible study from Useful to God. It's called Useful to God Radio, and we're doing the Gospels in 30 days, beginning January 1st. What a good way to start the new year. The daily Useful to God program will be on My Hope Now from Crawford Media. To find out more, please visit UsefulToGod.com. Every year the Merriam-Webster dictionary will choose a batch of trendy words to add to the dictionary. I know last year it was canceled and woke. This year gaslighting made the list. How important are words, labels and brands? As you can hear words that conjure up negative feelings and put down people, they seem to be the trendy words. Words like advent and elements of advent don't normally make the list. Hope Peace, love, and joy are deep words of awakening. Hello, everyone. I'm Richard Beatty, And this week on Useful to God, Dr. James Spencer and I will have another conversation on how we can be useful to God. If I could change the narrative this Christmas, I'd secretly change words that are hopeful for a counseled culture. I'd change the dialogue from debating our rights and hold peace talks. For a culture at war, I draw a steep contrast to the things that God hates and with whom God loves. And I will also bring the world to its feet with the truth of our stories, where we have struggled together and have made the sacrifices, including being right all the time or unforgiven in a canceling culture, words that don't trend like empowerment, mentoring, minds and hearts, truth in love, and a liberal take on compassionate conservatism. It is your choice to give hope a chance to lay down your arms and be at peace. It is our choice to love God and our neighbor. When we walk that road together, we can add that notion joy, joy, We'll find a way. Dr. James Spencer is here, and we are both at the starting gate and the finish line. The systematic flow chart that we call Advent is both the end of the waiting room and the new start to a new year. James,
0: how are you? I'm doing really well, Richard. Thanks.
1: There's a magazine here in Denver that has a column and a flow chart on various subjects. It could be uh, When to Tip. Uh, how to, uh, how much to tip, or it could be finding a healthcare provider or a counselor. It is without a doubt stimulating. I, I feel that way about useful to God. We started off at Thanksgiving. We then unpack the elements of Advent and we have arrived at joy. How do you find joy in a world that seems to snuff out the spirit?
0: You know, I think that the, the best way to find joy is to just do something that's actually fairly, it's difficult and simple all at the same time. And so it's to imitate Jesus. And I think here's where we make a mistake. There's a, there's a theory that was put out by a gentleman named Rene Girard, and he did a lot of work on what's called mimetic desire or imitative desire. And what he argues is this. We spend way too much time thinking about the relationship between us and the objects that we desire. When what we should really be thinking about is the relationship between us, the people that we are imitating, in this case, Christ, and how that changes our relationship to the objects that we desire. And so when we imitate Christ, what we're really doing is we're saying, I no longer want to relate to the world. In the way that i think i should relate to the world i want to relate to the world in the way that i think christ would relate to the world that i've seen christ relate to the world and so to find joy what we really need to do is sort of tap into jesus's life to watch what he did to to attach attach ourselves to him in such a way that we live according to the patterns that he set and then figure out then how it is that being like Jesus changes the way we interact with the world. And I, and I think that because if we don't imitate Jesus first, if we don't get this, this sort of imitation of Jesus, right? It's really easy for us to start looking at the things that we don't have in the world, or maybe the things that are happening to us in the world, or, um, you know, how, how we're being disaffected by the various you know economic or political or social or cultural sort of upheavals around us but the reality is that when i'm imitating christ all of those things sort of wash away because as christ lived suffered died and was ultimately resurrected and glorified so also will we be and so these things that we're experience experiencing they're not trivial they're important in the near term but ultimately they're really of little consequence because we're looking forward to something that other people aren't, which is the hope of being with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And that to me is, is sort of a a really crucial piece of being joyful in a world that can suck the joy right out of you.
1: You know, there's a flow to Advent that we miss in the hustle and bustle, and then you're no longer waiting Then there's this feeling of, now what? Our highs are really high, and then our Mm -hmm. lows are extremely low. So, or how can this season be less hard on people, and how can we balance out our emotions with our realities and hit the restart button?
0: I think, first of all, it's fine to sort of hope for these bigger moments. Um, My wife and I usually take a, a short vacation with our children, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I enjoy being away, just my wife and my kids. We have a lot of fun. Um, but I also think that I'm with my wife and kids most days. You know, I drive my kids to school every morning. Um, my son and I usually hang out in the afternoons when he gets back from school for a little bit and just talk about his day. Um, those are special times too. you know and And I think that there is something about us that sort of loses the joy of the mundane. those everyday sort of moments tend to get squeezed out because what we're looking for is something bigger than what we have. And so what I would recommend to people is just thinking about it in these terms. Look around your your world, look around your, your, your mundane activities and find the joy in them day to day, moment to moment in the present. Just find the joy, find something to be thankful for, find something to be um, joyful about, Find something that you truly experience as a blessing in your day-to-day life. And don't lose that as you're also looking forward to these bigger events. And I think that will create an evenness to the way that we think about our lives and we think about our world.
1: You're listening to Useful to God with James Spencer, Dr. James Spencer from uh, the president of the D.L. Moody Center. I'm Richard Beattie in Denver, Colorado, and uh, James is near St. Louis somewhere in Illinois. Uh, James, we're talking about the systematic ways to get to Christmas and the road to joy. And I wonder, how long can joy be sustained?
0: You know, I mean, I think it's a really good question. I I would assume it it varies a bit, Um, but I I think when I think of joy, uh, one of the passages that comes to mind is uh, when when the Apostle Paul is talking about um, finding contentment, which isn't quite the same as joy, but finding contentment in both riches and poverty. And I think that we don't want to minimize the adverse effects that either riches or poverty can have on one psyche um being having too much uh can be as detrimental to one's disposition as having too little and i think that we have to recognize that and so to me joy can be sustained and uh, as long as we are focusing on the right things as long as we are not distracted um, from what truly brings joy we can sustain joy but as the little things in our lives those sort of um Challenges that we face on a daily basis, you know, whatever they may be, as they begin to crowd Christ out of our lives, we can't really sustain joy, because the little things will get us down. There's this great story of, um, uh, you know, there were people, uh, there were these uh, construction workers who were building a, a huge cathedral. And, uh, there's one who's sort of rolling this boulder up toward the cathedral and, uh, someone stops and says, Hey, what are you doing? he's like, I'm trying to get this stinking boulder through the mud. And so I can, so I can get it up to the, the, the castle there, the build site. And he's really frustrated. He's tired of pushing this boulder through the mud. He doesn't like what he's doing. Then the gentleman, the same gentleman goes over and he looks at this other construction worker who's happily pushing a boulder through the same mud. And he goes up to him and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building the cathedral. And it's that sort of end goal, that end purpose, that that sort of view perspective that we need to adopt. If we want to sustain joy, we have to look at the bigger picture as opposed to just looking at this specific activity that we're doing now and trying to figure out why it is that we're doing it and what it's worth and all those kind of things. We need to be remembering that we are building the kingdom of God. And that's a joyful activity. And so if we can focus on those things, if we can focus on that end goal, I think we'll have a much greater opportunity to sustain joy over the long term.
1: And so I go back to my favorite journalist and physician, the Apostle Luke. His (laughs) second book is a must read. It's called Acts. (laughs) The Gospel of Luke is Acts 1 and the Gospel of (laughs) Luke in Acts. Acts of the Apostles, to me, is Acts 2. Sorry, it's my theatrical background. Does it uh, make sense for us to end the year with Christmas and continue the new year with Acts?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really uh, interesting thought. I, I do think that there is something about Acts that we often overlook. Acts is going to be the first time that the disciples are really without Jesus. And they have to go about building the kingdom without him. Now, they obviously receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so that's a a huge help to them. They're empowered by him. And, um, you know, in that sense, Christ is always with them through the working of the Holy Spirit. And yet they used to have Jesus physically with them. He used to be part of their, their, you know, small knit network. And so I think that there is a a really good case to be made that as we read the book of Acts, this is the era that we exist in. We may not be building exactly the same way that the early church was, but we are working in the same way that they were, and we're working toward the same thing that they were. And so as we read Acts, we should definitely be thinking about the new age, maybe not even the new year, but the new age into which we've entered where um, Christ is glorified, the Holy Spirit has come, and now it's our job to give testimony to the world that God is the victor and that uh, the gospel is being proclaimed.
1: You know, where I live in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, we have periods where the wind can blow really hard. I was working away on a script, and it was one of those hard winds We had some boxes and they had blown up on our roof and there was a banging and the trees were swaying. Is life a series of advantageous events that we don't really see in our busy schedule?
0: I get that feeling. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of times where. You know, uh, and I don't know, this is exactly what James was talking about when he says, you know, don't say I'm, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go here or there. Um, and, you know, he, he's discussing it in terms of making plans um, and, and really planning for the future in ways that, that, that sort of dismiss God. And he, he tells his readers that instead what they should do is to say, I will do this or that thing if God, if the Lord wills. And I think there's something in that that we need to learn. It's that we can, you know, the, the best laid plans of mice and men do often go astray. And if we're smart, what we realize is that our plans are always subject to change, depending on what God brings into our path. And so these everyday moments where we could be nudged away from the very important work that we're doing, whatever that very important work may be, nudged in order to do something that God is asking us to do. And for Dr. James Spencer,
1: thanks for listening.